Uh, hello and welcome to today's episode three of the joint podcast of the Friedrich Ebert Foundation Office in Cyprus. Our podcast series is called Beyond the Divide and our partner pre project Phoenix. We are doing together a 12 episode series on migration. My name is Hubert Faustmann. I should uh, add that as well. Today is the third episode uh, talking about the winter chaos at Buonara, that's a, a, a asylum and refugee camp and in Nicosia, as well as the boat pushbacks and uh, the way the Council of Europe criticized Cyprus for this policy. As I said, it's a joint podcast. Um, I'm co-hosting it um, with uh, Rishab Sandilya, who is, as he just told me, not just the co-founder and head of uh, Phoenix Project, but also everything from the delivery boy to the boss. So as I said, this podcast is a collaboration between the FAS Cyprus and Phoenix uh, the Phoenix Project, which is a European NGO based in Cyprus, working towards system change and migrant inclusion. In this series, we explore issues related to migration through multiple lenses by amplifying migrant voices and shedding light on migration issues. We hope to promote inclusion and highlight the diversity of migrant experience and humanize migrants by including and centralizing their voices uh, in this discourse. So as I said today, uh, Rishab and myself will talk about the scenes of chaos witnessed at the Punara Reception Center over the winter. Week-long episodes of asylum seekers camped out in the cold outside the immigration office in Nicosia and the Council of Europe's criticism of Cyprus on the contentious issue of migrant boat pushbacks. And today we have two distinguished guests, Etiosa from Nigeria and Cynthia, who is from Cyprus, and they're both the founders of Generation for Change, a citizen's initiative that did some incredible work in helping asylum seekers during this period. So, so a very warm welcome to Etiosa and Cynthia. Can you say a few words about Generation for Change? Hello, uh, and uh, thank you, Rishab and uh, Hubert, for inviting us to Migration 2.0. Uh, this discussion regarding the current state of migration, uh, these topics are really important to be held in order to understand where we stand right now and how to move forward. Uh, so thank you. Uh, for providing this platform. Uh, so Generation for Change, uh, we're a collective of individuals from different backgrounds, and we just aim to bring people together through different projects in order to foster awareness about an inequality and injustice in Cyprus society and uh, ultimately inspire social change. Okay, thank you. Whom I should also introduce personally is Rishab. A very warm welcome to my beloved co-host. How are you doing? Good morning, Hubert. Great to be here and always great to talk about migration in Cyprus and the Mediterranean because, you know, systems change begins with conversations. Excellent. Shall we get into uh, substance of our podcast? It was a busy winter in Cyprus and it clearly seemed that the Cypriot state were, was not really adequately providing <laughs> the protection that applicants for asylum should have been uh, granted to under international law. Can you can you tell us exactly what happened and why things went wrong? Yeah, thanks, Hubert. Sure, I'd be happy to provide a little bit of an introduction. So I think we can trace the current situation or what happened over the winter to really the beginning of the onset of the pandemic in spring and the lockdown. Uh, so when the lockdown began, I think what we saw was a very strong uh, response from the separate government uh, in terms of how they treated uh, migrants and asylum seekers. So what we saw in Nicosia, we pointed this out in our report as well, was that they rounded up 
people they consider to be either living in too close proximity to each other or who they consider to be homeless and ended up taking them to Purnagar in the first lockdown. Uh, and then at that time, we had reports of, you know, unaccompanied minors being locked together with, with adult males. And there was a huge hue and cry then, which sort of got resolved uh, over the summer. But then what we started seeing in the summer was boat pushbacks. So we saw boats coming in, uh, starting in, in about May or June, and this went throughout the winter from, from Lebanon, from Syria, from Turkey. And what we were seeing was that the Cypriot government uh, was forcing these boats to go back into the territorial waters of, uh, of these other countries. They ended up signing a contentious agreement with Lebanon uh, where they would not receive refugees and asylum seekers and ask these people to go back and Lebanon agreed to take them back. So this was again, went, went against a bunch of international law. Uh, and then for the ones who did come across uh, the Green Line and the ones who did and, and were able to land on, on the territory of the Republic of Cyprus, uh, we saw a bit of a crazy situation in, in the Purnara uh, First Reception Center. So basically what happened was uh, we saw an increased number of people coming across the Green Line from the north into the Republic. This itself is an interesting phenomenon which needs to be investigated separately. Uh, because the North, if anything, has been even more closed up than the Republic of Cyprus joined during the coronavirus crisis. So clearly these people were already there before uh, they crossed over and didn't come during, during the crisis. Uh, and, you know, what, what's interesting is to understand why we've had suddenly uh, a large number of people starting to cross over the Green Line in the last couple of months. So coming back to what's happened is that they've crossed over. Uh, what you're seeing in Purnara is huge amounts of overcrowding people. Uh, divided across four sectors there and packed like sardines. Again, issues of over, overcrowding where you have unaccompanied minors uh, in, you know, in, in being placed together with adult males, which again contradicts any sort of international law and protection that these minors deserve. Uh, and you also saw a situation in Nicosia as the immigration and asylum office for those who were allowed to leave Purnara, uh, where they were camped out overnight in, in bitterly cold conditions uh, trying to uh, file their claims for asylum. Uh, this was because the asylum office was overwhelmed because they were operating under limited conditions due to the coronavirus crisis. So lots of really uh, interesting things, lots of negative things going on. Um, and it's really great to have Ethios, Ethios sorry, and Cynthia with us today, uh, simply because they, you know, they were on the front lines. They were very, very active in trying to provide uh, humanitarian aid and support to those in Purnara, but also uh, to the ones camped overnight in Nicosia. And I'm sure they can tell us a lot more about what exactly went down over the winter. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so while we used to read uh, in the paper and uh, social media about these uh, issues regarding the human rights violations of individuals who were seeking uh, international protection here in Cyprus, these uh, past several months that we have been active in the grounds uh, in the field uh, with our collective and having the opportunity to actually experience uh, the conditions and the treatment asylees are uh, forced to endure has really been an eye opener to this harsh reality uh, of theirs. It's not just the violation of their fundamental human rights uh, uh, that was agreed on in so many occasions, but also the violation of their dignity, uh, integrity, and most importantly, the uh, violation of their humanity. So uh, where to start with? Uh, is it the fact that uh, while they express their intention to seek uh, international protection uh, to the immigration officers, they were ignored 
and left to survive in the streets alone in uh, unknown territory? Uh, is it the fact that they are being discriminated upon uh, and met with uh, degrading treatments in so many ways? Uh, and we, ha we have stories of individuals with uh, disability forced to actually live in horrific condition in Punara uh, with minimal support. Um, there have been so many incidents of ridicule and unacceptable uh, treatment we have witnessed these individuals go through that it's actually disturbing and really frustrating uh, to think of what uh, they endure in daily basis uh, that we are not present uh, to actually witness with them. I mean, I'd like to uh, rewind a little bit before talking about Pugnada. So, because our involvement in this field grew when, when we met the SIDs that were uh, homeless outside the immigration office in Ecosia in Ecuador. And we, we fought so hard on the daily with them to be transferred to Bernara camp that we actually genuinely celebrated with them when they were, when the buses came and they were finally transferred after a few weeks. And little did we know that, I mean, days in, some were actually starting to comment because we kept in contact with the people that we met. Uh, when they went to Bernara, they were commenting that conditions were perhaps in ways better outside immigration, um, which is so ironic and so, but of course that was, and it still is because there's like Rishab said, there's chaos. It's uh, the overcrowded conditions at Bernara. And because like, let's bear in mind that Bernara was built to host roughly 700 people for a maximum of 72 hours for them to be registered, have their required medical tests and procedures done. And that's what Bernara is there for. Um, but however, like the continuous arrival of Sileys in combination with the decrease to manage the COVID-19 pandemic, it just halted uh, the usual release flow. So there you were, no one was allowed to leave. And even though they had finished with the necessary procedures, and unfortunately the camp, you know, does not have the correct facilities to host for more than 72 hours. But not only did they hold people in, they ended up with double uh, the number in capacity. The camp is still understaffed. The needs and problems multiplied. And this chaotic and overpopulated situation, you know, has erupted a few times so far as a result. And I mean, we've all seen it on the news. Um, you know, a picture portrayed how these ungrateful people, uh, quotations, wild in nature, they've acted. Uh, and this is just a retaliation after continuously not given answers or the proper care. Maybe, guys, it's, it's just good to, to recap um, for our listeners about what exactly happened. So, uh, was, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was around November, December, Jan, and we saw large amounts of people camped outside the Nicosia Immigration Office. Right. How many would you estimate would, 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 would camp overnight? Where there was... Well, so, we, it, 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 uh, the chaos in uh, outside immigration lasted for approximately 20 to 25 days. Mm -hmm. There were about 160 uh, ISILEs in, uh, in groups of three. Mm -hmm. So uh, just to provide a better context is that we came across uh, this news when uh, KISA uh, uploaded something about ISILEs being left outside immigration in Nangomi. So we just went there to check uh, what's going on and we found 50 people literally left outside. So we uh, came in contact with them, like, what's going on? And they told us they're ISLEs. 
and they are being told by the immigration officers to just stay outside and wait. Mm-hmm. So and we asked them, do you have anywhere to go? Or yeah. uh, from our ignorance, do you have anywhere to go? Do you have, uh, how are you going to survive? Do you have any jackets or uh, sleeping bags? Where are you going to, where are you, you going to stay? I mean, there's, there were people literally just like in summer clothing or flip-flops. Um, and at that period, it was a rainy, it was like there was Rainy strong days. rain and it was getting, you know, you could feel the temperatures dropping. So uh, so as a collective, what we did is that we came in contact with other individuals through uh, a, a, a coordination uh, platform to actually coordinate what was going to be done. So we tried, we tried uh, to sort out who's going to provide meals. So who's going to provide breakfast, who's going to prepare breakfast and who's going to do the deliveries. Uh, then lunch and then dinner, and uh, because it was a continuous process, and that we had newcomers coming every day, we had to go there and actually sort out who was new, what were the needs, and actually fill up those needs so we can move on to the next day where new people will come. But during this process, you had uh, the thing that, that there was a sense of distrust and insecurity from these individuals because most of them were vulnerable too. After you help them at the Nicosia Immigration Office, they were eventually bused to Bunara, uh, where they were taken to the first reception center. Uh, and we thought things were going to be better there, but as it turned out, things were not better there. Things were, in fact, worse. We saw instances of different groups of asylum seekers fighting with each other. We saw unaccompanied minors being, mm-hmm. uh, being, being put with, with adult males. Uh, we also saw overcrowding. We also saw that, again, generation change responded. We collected a lot of things. Uh, but as I heard, they didn't actually use some of the stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about what you, you know, how you helped in Purnara okay. and what exactly happened with the stuff you, you, you did. So, yes. I mean, uh, because we, we met these people at immigration and when they moved to Purnara, we kept in touch with them. So we would uh, visit them or we would speak with them to see uh, how, how things are. And um, even though they did mention that the staff there was very uh, friendly, uh, and, yeah, and uh, we've spoke to them a few times and they and they were quite helpful and friendly. Uh, the conditions there were very harsh. Um, so basically what we, there was, they were also expressing, but also the staff at Purnara, they were expressing how they were in, uh, in great shortage of clothing, especially men's clothing, uh, jackets in particular, uh, uh, sleeping bags, blankets, hygiene essentials. These was these were the necessities at that moment. Uh, so what we decided to do together with uh, a few other people that we met along the way from uh, other active members of the community, we decided to uh, reach out and we did um, we we made a call like a donation call and we had drop off points all around Cyprus and all cities where people could uh, respond. And it was very pleasantly overwhelming how people were, were just bringing things by the dozens. There, we, had, we had collected, we felt that we had collected so many, so many items, uh, cars full. We, we went multiple times we, to deliver and drop off. Uh, so we, you know, we felt that we had this really good communication with the camp. Uh, that we were providing, they seemed very thankful and everything. But then we started hearing comments from Asilis reaching out and saying, "I need, I need a jacket. I need a blanket." 
I need sanitary pads. Um, I'm on my uh, I'm on my cycle, and I and so we were we were just surprised that so what's going on? Um, so it turns and, out the stuff you collected was not actually given to the people you collected it for. Well, there's it's still unclear. It's it is still unclear. We heard a few different versions, a few different stories how. They can, um, there's another organization that is actually in charge of distributing uh, the clothing and the essentials. Uh, and they were just that the, uh, the workers at Bernada were actually just trying to help us. It wasn't their job to collect the deliveries that we were making and distribute. So there was a confusion there. And, and there's also confusion in how many they are allowed may I say to get each so there's word that they can have a set of clothing each and a blanket and a jacket let's say but who can survive with uh you know a pair of clothes when they want to again take a shower or wash their clothes so what do they do stay naked until they their clothes dry in the cold and in the rain there so what we decided to do in the end we were we created a platform where um, we can uh, collect and take note of individual needs and try to create packages with their name on it, with their tent um, and tent number, and so that it can actually be delivered to them okay. directly, which they are, which they do receive. Okay. So just now cutting mm. cutting to the chase right now in terms of. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what is the current situation? We're now in the first week of April. Uh, have you had an update in terms of how things are looking there? Are, are people, in a sense, less overcrowded? Are people better off in that sense? Or is it still as bad as it was in the, in the winter? Well, uh, while the release process during December, January, and uh, February was really slow, um, uh, right now, the, the process is really f is way faster. We have a like, release of uh, approximately, let's say, 200 people per week. Uh, but the thing is that uh, with the release, other problems, other loops in the system is being exposed right now. For example, you have that they usually get the emergency money once they are released. But right now, because of the uh, shortness, I would say, uh, individuals are just being released and left to survive by themselves in the society, in the community. Uh, there, there is lack of, uh, of awareness of where you are right now. There is lack of direction uh, because you have individuals who were just in the camp, isolated from everything, and suddenly you just expose them to a community. So where do I go for this? Where do I go for that? So they, they reach out to us and other organizations to actually find this information about where can I go, where can I get my social, how do I go about my social benefits. Uh, so we, we, have, we, we are currently facing that situation of, uh, of people being released, but with which tools are they released? Without support. Yeah. Without support. So you, and also due to uh, other uh, factors, there is uh, the, 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 the benefits mm -hmm. that they are entitled to comes in very slow. So they have to find a way to survive for the months that it might take for them to get their uh, initial, uh, to get their, start getting their benefits. So who's gonna provide, cover, cover that, uh, that gap? Uh, due to the pandemic and other, and other uh, limitations, there is no access to work. 
Okay. Yeah. And we can even talk about employment. There is no access to even volunteering work. And and these individuals, due to the pandemic and other factors again, they are forced to stay at home, which makes the situation more harder. There is no I mean, opportunity. Can I just cut in and say that we were talking about the overcrowded situation in Granada, and they do come, they they do get released, and they do end up, you know, being overcrowded in an apartment because they don't they don't have the money. Uh, to, uh, you know, to be independent in that sense. So they do end up staying. There's like cases where there's uh, six, uh, six individuals in one room, not even in an apartment. Uh, and there's like cases of 20 people living in one house together. Uh, they're just, you know, sharing a blanket, you know, taking turns with a blanket. Um, so yeah, and, and to refer back to, to Punara, uh, one main one other issue is that okay, Punar was meant for just 72 hours initially, so it's not built to actually provide succession support, right? But right now, the, 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 the situation is different, the reality is different. But due to the those gaps and uh, inadequate preparation for uh, killing people for that much time now, uh, we have individuals who have no information. And whenever they even, if they get some information, there is lack of transparency in terms of those information that they get. Right. So right now, one issue that that's actually uh, prominent is Nigerians, those who are Asalis who are coming from uh, Nigeria, are left behind because there are a lot of reports of other people that uh, they came with from other nationalities are being released. Or Nigerians are really released. This is slower. This is really sad. Hey. Also, something we should explore potentially in another podcast. What's happening in there? So, okay, we're gonna cut this session now. Um, thanks for your answers, guys. Uh, we'll go back to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Touching and uh, and disturbing. There's another issue we wanted to talk about, and this is the issue of uh, boat pushbacks off the coast of Cyprus. The Council of Europe has reprimanded or criticized Cyprus for this practice. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Rishab, I think this is something that's in your expertise, right? Okay, so just unfortunately, Cyprus has taken the example of Greece and Italy and has begun this new process of pushing and returning boats that are coming from Syria and Lebanon uh, and from Turkey back into the territorial waters uh, of Syria and Lebanon, and then using the dubious gray zone that exists in the Republic of Cyprus and the north uh, to push uh, boats with, with asylum seekers there. Uh, this is something that's been going on for the last uh, couple of months. It started in the spring of last year, so almost a year, uh, and it continues to happen. Cyprus signed a contentious agreement with Lebanon on, on, on readmittance of, of asylum seekers. Uh, so that, that continues to frame this. Uh, essentially, uh, you know, both Article 4 uh, of Protocol 4 of the European Convention on Human Rights uh, which states that collective expulsion of aliens is prohibited, uh, and the principle of non reformal uh, in Article 3 of the 1951 Refugee Convention, to which Cyprus is, is a party, uh, prohibits the return of refugees in any means whatsoever. Um, so what you've seen is people, you know, even, even in cases where people have landed on, on the territory of the Republic, not just cases where the boats have been pushed back in the waters, people who have landed made claims for asylum, but still be put back on boats and sent back. So this is really uh, contradicting all forms of international law, all forms of conventions that Cyprus uh, has, has signed up to uh, and continues to happen you know, informally, 
uh, as the as the EU and you know turns a blind eye, Frontex turns a blind eye. We've had cases of Frontex turning a blind eye in Greece. Uh, of course, the UNHCR has written letters. A bunch of international human rights organizations have written letters criticizing this practice. Uh, but the reality of it is, I don't really see this changing uh, because they've really used the cover of the coronavirus crisis to do this. So while something else is on the political agenda, they can do this uh, in the background. Uh, and unless people are really taking the Soviet government to court, we're not going to see much change on this. How will this impact Cyprus' image on an international stage? I mean, this is a lot of bad press for a small island. Um, I think it would be great to have your opinion on this as well. Uh, for me, again, I think that globally, and especially in Europe and Southern Europe, because of the focus on the crisis and vaccines, uh, I think this, this, these particular legalities when it comes to, to, to the rights of refugees and asylum seekers are being pushed under the carpet here. Uh, and I don't think people are going to make such a big human cry about it. But I think there's an interesting angle here is that internally within Cyprus, and I'd like to bring in FAO Sancente on this, there's a huge, uh, you know, huge movement, awakening of citizens, uh, especially in, in the light of the passport and the golden passport crisis, uh, with Al Jazeera exposing that. So there seems to be a lot of internal criticism of the government. Uh, do you guys want to quickly come in and talk about this? So how, you know, how your, your work with asylum seekers and refugees is a reflection of what's going on in Cypriot society and the frustrations with, with, with this government? I'd like to say that we, you, you do see exactly that, that people are willing and they are ready to uh, be more aware and be more um, sensitive about different matters going on. Um, and however, you see that the state uh, is not so ready yet let's say, but uh, there, we've come in contact with a lot of people uh, that really want to help, that are contacting and saying, what can I do? How can I find out more about what is going on about this matter? How can I find more about your work? I want to be more involved. Uh, Having a new movement in, in, in Cyprus with citizens actually uh, criticizing and pointing, out, uh, pointing to the government about what they're doing is that despite not having so much... Uh, substantial uh, sanctions in European uh, in European terms against Cyprus. But we have we live in a reality now that the government is alert and knows that the citizens are watching. They know that they cannot just get away with stuff anymore. Is it because of the, uh, due to the uh, ultra duty uh, passport uh, issue and due to all their internal issues that, that have came up this uh, lately. So we have a situation that these individuals who are awakening are sensitive too to the migration and ISIS coming over, uh, coming over. So they, they can actually point out to the hypocrisy that you are not literally scared uh, of, our, uh, of our culture being altered by foreigners. It's about which type of foreigners. It's not about uh, foreigners coming in and taking over is who are you are allowing. So these uh, citizens with the new movement uh, are actually pointing out to the government that you cannot get away with, uh, with everything you're doing. That's a very interesting note actually to end on. Uh, and the hope is that, you know, Cyprus does fall a little more into line with international law in this matter. Well, thank you so much. Etiosa uh, and, and Cynthia, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for you coming to this podcast and uh, I'm really, really impressed by your, by your work. It's admirable. 
what you're doing. Um, so big, 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 big thank you from my side. Thank you to our favorite partners in crime, the Project Phoenix and Rishab, uh, as my co-host and such an activist and informed person on the issue of migrants. This was the third episode of our joint podcast series called Migration to Zero. You can find these recordings on both the websites of Phoenix, of Project Phoenix and the Ebert Foundation office in Cyprus, FASCyprus.org within our podcast series Beyond the Divide. It's available on all major uh, podcast platforms. So again, big thank you to the three of you. Uh, to the listeners, thank you for listening and I hope you are getting interested in listening to the other podcasts on migration and maybe on podcasts on other issues we have there as well. So thank you and hope to hear you soon or rather and hope that you hear from us soon in the next episodes. Thank you so much and bye-bye.